This is Boss Tone Radio, Talk for Guitar, presented by BossUS.com. Hi, Paul Hansen here, the host of Boss Tone Radio. Today on the show, we have Jude Gold, and he's on the line from deep in the labyrinths of Musicians Institute in Hollywood, California, where Jude is the director of the guitar program, GIT. Jude is also an editor and writer for Guitar Player Magazine, and Jude has lots of credits from several bands. Currently, he's in an acoustic duo with Guitar Hero on the Rise, Gretchen Mann. That's called Lap Dance Armageddon, but you can also find Jude playing around Hollywood with his Van Halen tribute band called Hot for Teacher. Let's listen to a little bit of Jude playing, and then we'll get him on the phone. Here's a little excerpt from one of Jude's songs. This is called Everything You Want. Hey, Jude, I kind of get the feeling you're a California guy. Yes, pretty much. You know, I have a little taste of New York when I was a kid, like four and five living there. A lot of relatives there, right in, that's right in Manhattan, which is great because I love the energy. But yeah, I've been in California since the age of five or six or something. Also guessing maybe Northern California, Bay Area? That's exactly right. You know, I'm a kind of a psychedelic child, actually. <laughs> At your website, as a kid, it says you skateboarded and played pinball. Then you were overtaken by guitar. What was it that drove you to be a guitar player? Oh, man, I guess many things. This is, uh, and thank you for asking. Uh, yeah. but, man, we guitar players, we love to talk about our guitars <laughs> and how we got in there. <laughs> you know, I always loved music, but as long as I can remember, I was classical music, whatever. But then one day I had this friend. She was like my first little girlfriend. We were just like... I don't know, like she was into things that I was not into, such as pop singers. Uh-huh. And we just had like this friendship and she was like, I want to find this Michael Jackson song. I was like, you got to be kidding. What? Like, it's a sunny day. You're like looking on the radio dial. Like, we should be out playing. Uh-huh. <laughs> but she found it. Like, the dial stopped on this one station and like time stopped. It was that song. Let's dance. Let's shout. She can bat it down to the ground. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and the energy just went through me. All of a sudden, I just got pop music like in a millisecond. Like it all, a lightning bolt just went through me, and suddenly, I it just became my obsession. Wow! And so, um, the other thing though too is I just always loved noises and cool sounds. And like you know, I remember when Star Wars came out. Like half the thing I loved about the movie was the score, and then also mm-hmm. all the sounds that they had, like all the the laser blasters and all that kind of stuff. And oh yeah, I finally discovered guitar. It was like the best of all worlds. It was like music and sounds yeah excitement and then it's kind of like a skateboard in terms of all the tricks you can do on it and it's also kind of like laser blasters in terms of how much destruction you can wreak with it yeah that's a good analogy so um 
What was your first guitar? My first guitar, may it rest in peace, <laughs> aside from this wonderful Takamini acoustic that my mom gave me that I still have, mm-hmm. was a Harmony Stratotone. Oh. And it really, really sounded, it was what? horrible. <laughs> but I loved that thing until my cousin came over with an SG and a very loud amplifier and knew how to play all the ACDC licks. And I was, that was another pivotal moment. Discovered the power of a humbucking pickup and a loud amp. So I'm guessing you're maybe in your 40s? You know, (laughs) very, very, very early 40s. I'd like to say that about me, too. Then you went to um, Berkeley and you got a bachelor's degree. Can you tell us about that? And was that a good experience? Would you recommend it? Or were there great teachers, other students? Oh, yeah. I mean, music school. My first actual education was Casadero Music Camp as a child, which is a fantastic music camp up in the Russian River in Northern California. That was positively transformative experience and just a great place to go. Uh-huh. And then so music college, if you get into the right music college, it's kind of like music camp on steroids. It's just, you know, you're, it's actually plugged into the real world. So I would absolutely recommend the experience. It's just, you know, it, whether it's a GIT grad I'm talking to or whether uh-huh. I'm just kind of looking back myself, you realize, man, I'm never going to have those kind of hours again where I can just live and breathe music 24 hours a day. Right. So you start getting into the industry, yep. get into a touring band or you're on a tour bus or something, you're spending so much time traveling. Distractions. You're just, you don't have that just one-on-one personal time with music as you do when you're in music college. And that time to just work with other people who are launching their same careers. It's like the beginning of the Big Bang for you, you know, <laughs> center yeah. where your whole career starts. So yeah, I, I look back on that fondly. Yeah. Did you learn to play jazz standards and solo over changes? Are you a good reader? Can you read music well? Well, I write a lot of music, so I'm definitely a really good writer of mm-hmm. no- notated music because mm-hmm. I do everything from you know guitar player magazine to transcriptions to course curriculum and stuff. Right. Reading is one of those things, like when I get my chops up, it's just so satisfying when you start reading and reading charts and stuff. But it's one of those things also, you kind of have to do it a lot. Like yeah. If we forget how much we read printed words every day, but if, if we only did that every few months, it's kind of hard to keep up at it. But we actually read printed words every single day. Absolutely, yeah. You can never take that it. time to actually read music every day a little bit, or if you're in music where you do it, and your chops get really up. So it's such a thrill. I, I definitely know how to do it, and I do read. Uh-huh. But, you know, you put a Charlie Parker solo in front of me, <laughs> transcribe it, 200 beats per minute. Oh, my God. I'm, and the I, rhythms, I'm, too, and the rhythms, yeah. I find it so helpful, though. Like, I do a lot of gigs where I have to learn, you know, 20 songs or whatever, and and just being oh. able to chart stuff out is really helpful. I mean, you know how to read. You can you can chart things out and really help yourself out, whether you're actually right. writing melodies for this section here or writing a rhythmic hit for that section there or writing chords with just generic rhythmic notation underneath it right. so you can remember the breaks when they come up. And then you look really smart because you nail it and the other people <laughs> are trying to remember it. Yeah, I know. Having a chart is like a pneumatic, like, remember that spot which you learned already but to make it automatic takes a little bit of work to it's memorization so jude you played a lot of gigs jerry garcia's band we played with eddie money greg house do him jeff berlin i mean in the past do you remember any gigs that you'd like to tell us about or that stands out for you oh man there's so many 
I guess for me it always comes down to the same thing, though, which is the reason why I think many of us play guitar, because every once in a while I think we all have those gigs where your feet just don't touch the ground, you know what I mean? Like, for whatever reason, everything is just working, and, like, the music is flowing through you, and you're playing stuff that you didn't even know you could play, and I just, I live for those moments, and those moments can happen anywhere. I mean, I think that's the beauty of music. Like, that could happen just by yourself practicing. That could happen with you and a buddy playing. That could happen with you and a couple friends spontaneously jamming at a party and a people watching. That could happen at a jam session at a club. That could happen at your own cover gig down the street. That could happen at a huge show. It could happen in a solo recital. Or it could even happen when you get into a really big band and you're playing on a big stage with a huge sound system and lights and mm-hmm. cameras and everything. So you just never know when that magic can happen. And I do remember those gigs. Yeah. You know, I remember one night with JGB that featured four original members of the Jerry Garcia band, which uh-huh. you referenced. I just remember one night just playing at some little restaurant kind of club that was on the coast of, like, South Carolina. Wow. Kitty Hawk, uh-huh. where, you know, the Wright brothers first flew their airplane. Yeah. And yeah, we just we just tapped into infinity that night. Like we couldn't play a wrong note. Everything was great, and the crowd was freaking out. And those are the magical moments. Then there's, of course, there's so many other things that go into being a musician. Uh-huh. This is traveling, and a year ago I toured India with Greg Howe. Unforgettable experience. Oh my gosh! Playing five different cities in India and traveling around and and meeting all these people and just you know I've been to a lot of countries, but just the way they do gigs there is just fascinating. And the whole thing, you know, like labor is is a different thing over there. They have like 50 people come and help you set up the stage and everything. Like it was everywhere you went. It was just such a production. It was fantastic. I've never been to India. India must seem like another planet. It really does. It's it's fascinating because it seems like a total other planet. But then at the same time, the world is so small now, thanks to the internet and thanks right. to education. And India has like such high standards of education. You're just talking to these guys that speak English perfectly in some ways <laughs> better than you do with more with more correct grammar than your most of your friends. Yeah, it's like wow. I mean, we had this guy named Chris. He's just amazing. 18 years old, almost done with medical school, speaks perfect English. Uh, the bass player Kevin Vicioni, fantastic musician, had a real fun time insisting on that Chris learn how to speak vulgar English words and making him say them <laughs> with the correct inflection. <laughs> Repeat after me. <laughs> I remember. Very funny. I remember. I I lived in Vienna, Austria, for a couple of years, and um, in my flat, I remember reading about Viennese history and and the Habsburg Empire and all this interesting stuff, and I. Down on the, the old cobblestone streets, I hear this noise. So I look out the window, and there's a bunch of kids in baggy shorts skateboarding. It looked like L.A. It really has become, and I mean, that, it has its advantages, but I have to say, like, I'm of the generation where we just, just got a taste of when there still was really different regional sounds. And I, there's something mm-hmm. really cool about regional sounds when oh, Nashville yeah. really was Nashville. When Detroit was Detroit, when Bay Area, where I grew up, we had this oh yeah, psychedelic funk scene where you know a few bands made it out of there with big records like Primus and oh yeah, um, and Faith No More. And oh, Faith No More. All these other bands in the clubs that were just huge. It's all this regional stuff, you know. You had Seattle sound, and that's where I am right like now. Things are getting more, becoming more and more uh, homogenized. With you know, you know, I'm in Seattle right now. I always like to ask, you know, it's cloudy outside and kind of gloomy is it sunny down there in in los angeles i would say it's violently sunny (laughs) it's about yeah 
80 degrees. It's insanely gorgeous. I miss that. Um, uh. I'm from the Bay Area, which is much more Seattle-like in its weather, and I love Absolutely. that, too. There's something about the cloudy, rainy Seattle weather with the Mount Rainier or whatever that mm-hmm. is off in the distance. Yep, that's where I am. I'm near Mount Rainier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see that, and you, you just want to like go home and record like a double concept album or something. <laughs> it's so inspiring. Here, it just makes you want to go to the beach or something. Oh, so much. Yeah, if you're up here and it's gloomy outside, you want to go in and practice. I swear that's why Jimi Hendrix happened and, uh, you know, all these great bands have come out of Seattle. They don't have anything else to do. (laughs) It's really true. I mean, I'm always fascinated with the British stuff, too. Like, Yeah. Something about those British guitar players, like, you know, Dave Gilmore to Pete Townsend to clap to Peter Green, like... Oh, Peter Green. Five, Jimmy Page. I think it's something about the food. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Something about the tough times over there. Yeah. And the dark weather. And if you think about Tony Iommi coming through the most tough working class upbringing, working in some horrible sheet metal company with totally bad labor conditions, thus that they... He ended up on some machine that he wasn't supposed to be on, and that's how he hurt his fingers. And Chopped his fingers off. Then he off. went on. I think that you're right. I think he alchemized the darkness into this amazing music, and there's yeah. something about that. And I think Seattle's very similar in that respect, too. Interesting. Now, you are um, definitely a funky guy, and you're into the groove, and um, you have a couple terms, deep pocket and evil funk. Right. What does that mean? It's always hard to describe music, isn't it? It's funny, yeah. but uh, like for me, like the groove is always comes first. Like I really like the noise and aggression of the electric guitar, mm-hmm. and I do play jazz standards and all that stuff too. And then I will probably that's what I'll be doing when I'm seventy. Uh-huh. But uh, <laughs> maybe not. I also do love the abrasive tonality of the guitar too. You know, uh-huh. and so yeah, the pocket is always huge. Like. Even though I love rock and stuff, and I consider myself a rock guitar player, I really don't listen to much rock that doesn't have a great groove to it. Like, if you listen to ACDC, so wonderful the way they leave these huge holes in there. It makes the drums come through. A lot of their licks have are half silence. You know, you listen to Back in Black or something like that. Oh, yeah. So much space in between the chords that the drums come through, and it sounds so huge. To me, having that danceability factor, Uh in my fantasies, I would be able to play like you know, some crazy guitar maniac while dancing around like MC Hammer on the stage. But (laughs) (laughs) I just love the groove angle. Oh, me too. But I also like the heavy, hard textures. So Mm -hmm. I guess if I say evil funk, it's kind of almost like metal soul or something. Like maybe some big distorted 4x12s kicking in with a serious groove. Like... Like, I don't know if you saw my Funky Town video. Gosh, like, I, a, I did. I just saw it. It's, it's so good. There's one girl that appears, I don't know, 500 times or something, and she has yeah. great legs, at, but you look pretty cool, too. And you're, It's a remake of Funky Town, that famous funk hit. Yeah. It, I really like Thank that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Director Eric Shamlin, he uh, has this way of cloning people. So, uh, yeah, he cloned it model her name's allison nicole mm-hmm. cloned her like as many as 20 times and put her <laughs> out in the frame so there's 20 of her and cloned me like four times yeah you got yeah. your whole band together you're playing drums bass and yeah it was one of those things thinking outside the box at the last minute you know the drummer and bass player are the same guy on that song and it's a good example of, of mixing hard rock tones with funky grooves because his name is joel smith and he's a famous gospel musician he grew up in the hawkins family and 
he's like world renowned for in that in that scene. And he's you know the only argument about him is what is he better at, bass or drums? I mean, he's phenomenal. But we filmed that gig on a Sunday afternoon. But it just turned out at the last minute he had this big church performance gig late that day. Mm-hmm. We couldn't get him in the video. We were going to clone him and have him on bass and drums. Of course. So they were just like, well, why don't we put you on all instruments? You know, Jude, funk is all about rhythm and time. Do you have any ideas on how students can get better at rhythm? It seems like it's the last thing that most players learn. It's, that's always a tricky one because, well, first of all, I think it's important to recognize that a lot of your heroes, if you're a guitar player, chances are they probably are great rhythm guitar players. Of course. Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, stunning rhythm guitar players. Yeah. Then you go into the shred realm. Eddie Van Halen is a rhythm player. When he's playing lead, it's so there's so much rhythm in that. I think my favorite Van Halen song is I'm the One. And he's just going back and oh. forth between rhythm and lead. His leads are just as rhythmic as his rhythm parts, and his rhythm parts are just as exciting as his lead parts. Yeah. Something like that is just every note of it. And um, the thing about these guys is they all have massive experience playing clubs and, and playing gigs from teenagehood onward. Mm-hmm. Van Halen was a, was a club band. They got their groove together. By the time they were 18, they'd already played probably a, you know, a thousand gigs or something. I mean, yep. I might be exaggerating. But one way that you get your groove is, as guitar players, we really kind of, I think it's really helpful when you have to learn something that you wouldn't normally do. Like, nobody really wants to strum E minor 7, or let's say E9, for five minutes. Uh But if you play in a funk band, and you're playing James Brown Sex Machine, (laughs) you're going to do that, and you're going to have to do that, and you're going to have to make it funky, and you're going to learn how to lock in. And so... Something about band experience really helps you get that going because you're playing real gigs, yeah. being forced to do that. But when you're sitting at home, how many of us really want to play E9 for five minutes straight? Right. But you do that a few times a week for a few years, playing E9 for five minutes straight on stage while you're locking with a drummer and a bass player and you're learning how to stand in your zone and learning how to kind of groove and, mm-hmm. and react with the audience. That's where a lot of it really comes from. So the question is, how do you do that if you don't have that experience and you're not in those kind of bands? Yeah. How do you gain that on your own? You can definitely work with a metronome and everything, but... You have to have a lot of discipline to sit there. Five minutes doesn't sound like very long, but if you're playing a you know a funk pattern that's maybe a couple bars long, that's repeating it maybe two, three hundred times. It's so true. I mean, and... I, I talked to Mike Scott. He's a great guitar player. I played with Prince for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and if Prince hires you for several years, you know that you're one of the funkier players. You, yeah. And he went on to play with him. He plays the Rihanna and mm-hmm. P. Diddy. And he's just a super funky guy. I interviewed him when I inter- did a story on him for guitar players. Like, you know, yeah. so what was Prince's number one advice to you as a guitar player? You know, what did you learn? Like, how do you make things funky? Good question. The thing to funk is stay on your part. So don't change. Like, you know, if you're given a a one bar or a two bar lick to play, you have to just keep playing it. That's what makes it funky. You're locked on your part. The drummer is locked on his part. Yeah. His words were, I know you're tempted to show your butt a little bit. Uh Don't do that. Wow. So, I mean, there are times, of course, to do fills and everything, but like it all starts from that hypnotic groove, you know? The singer will be taking the lead or the guitar solo or something. 
that takes the forefront. When you're part of that engine underneath, you just got to stay on your part. Once you can do that, then you can start to branch out and start learning how to like throw in fills or change it up or and do other things while you're still locked with the drums and bass. Mm-hmm. But until you know the importance of staying on that part, I think you have more work to do. It's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of the well, you said hypnotic. It's kind of like that that crystal constantly going back and forth in front of your eyes, kind of lulling you into submission. <laughs> Exactly, and it's exactly like that. And it's also it's just hypnotizing you through your bones too. The rhythm, is yeah, feeling it. Hey, you uh, mentioned an interviewing uh, Prince's guitar player. I I want to ask you about GIT. You're the head of GIT now, but you put in a lot of years at Guitar Player Magazine, um, and uh, you must have done some really amazing interviews. Um, I read your Slash interview; that was really good. What What are some of the other interviews that you remember from? those years yeah again it's kind of like music too you never know where that the magic will come from but it could be somebody really famous or it could be someone you barely knew anything about uh-huh but uh there's just yeah there's just so many i mean i still write for a guitar player right now there's a new cover story coming up on john five you know plays rob rob zombie and as his own oh yeah the album's amazing played marilyn manson and he's on to share the cover with them with Brendan Small, who creates Metal Eclipse, oh. the cartoon. These are Brendan Small. What a <laughs> what a funny guy! Oh my gosh! Yeah, he's hilarious. He was, you know, a comedian. He's got a music yeah. degree himself, and he yeah. put it all together to create this metal cartoon where all the, you know, all the music he plays every single instrument, pretty much. Maybe not the drums all the time. He sings, and and his cartoon characters on in the band Death Clock, which is the cartoon, cartoon yeah, Metal They actually have like real Gibson endorsements and stuff, and you can buy their guitar. They get a real world Thunder Horse, which is like you know an explorer. That's actually what you see on the cartoon. Cartoon. It's based on cartoon characters, yeah. Exactly. So that's that's amazing stuff. So you know, mm-hmm. so that's like the most contemporary, fresh, current interview that'll be coming out in the October issue uh-huh. on the cover that I'm doing with guitar player, but then it goes all the way back, you know, like Gosh. the first story was for bass player, this guy named That One Guy, and I started off there and interviewed everyone in between from, you know, Brad Paisley to Pat Metheny to ACDC to Slash to... My gosh. Hard to remember them all. It's probably yeah. been 300 different different players. One that comes back to me quite a bit is Steve Kimmock. I'm not sure if people know who Steve Kimmock is. I'm not sure. I mean, people do in the jam band community. But Kimmock had this fascinating thing where he... He pointed out to me the fact that a lot of times the tone that we hear that we love so much is because some of these players like Jeff Beck or Slide Players or Sonny Landreth, yep. they're, they're kind of playing these intervals that aren't officially in tune. Like if you use your, your chromatic tuner, right. it's going to tune you exactly to this even-tempered system. Uh-huh. But these intervals, are, the sweet intervals are actually more in tune with the harmonic series. Like the third should be a little bit flat and in the 7-2, you hit those notes and you play them with distortion and then you get that violin tone. It's like, oh. Wow. I wasn't expecting that interview at all, but I talked to him and I started thinking about tuning in the overtone series and in one interview, changed my entire perspective about the guitar. Or Sonny Landreth, the way he plays oh. notes behind the slide with his fingers and the way he showed me how to do that. <laughs> it's like, it took him five minutes to show me and hence the readers, five minutes you can read a sentence and, and read a little bit of tablature notation. If you've never done this stuff, within five minutes, that article from Sonny Landreth, that thing, I was just the guy that the interview went through. But that piece of information will change your entire concept of slide blank. And you'll just be launched in this whole new direction. 
Wow. I love that stuff where just a little spark of inspiration opens up a whole new door. You know, I got Jeff Beck's latest album, and he just plays a Strat, picks with his thumb, and I heard that he played most of it all through just a little champ amp or something like that. Right. I just can't believe how the tones he gets. I've always been a Jeff Beck fan, but I'm just stunned by this album and how simple his rig is. And you bringing up the fact of his tuning, yeah, when he plays a minor third, it's choked just a little bit. And yeah, notes are just eased in with a bend. There's also the anticipation, you know, before he gets to the note, there's the little bit of tension because the note hasn't got there yet, and he kind of uses all that. But tuning is a huge part of, uh, yeah, expression. Well, you know, a good example is Keith Richards, too. He tunes his chord, <laughs> yeah. tunes the guitar to an open A chord a lot of the time. So you hit one bar across, like, the fifth fret, and you hear kind of like a D chord. Yeah. When you, if you're ever experimenting with that, you know, you can use your tuner to get in tune so you're in tune with the band and everything. But then at a certain point, what you got to do is put your tuner aside and take that third. You're probably going to lower it, as Kimak would say, down about 14 cents and strum it. And just use your ears at this point. This is the yeah. stuff that barbershop quartets use to tune their chords, you know, or, Interesting. or symphonies. Using your ears, just go with what sounds right. And, you know, if you have a little distortion on there especially you'll suddenly hear the, whoa, major third can sound amazing through distortion if you, if you tune it down a little bit so it's not so sharp. With and all the, of a sudden, all the dissonance goes away and all the, the waves go away and suddenly it just sounds fat. And then it sounds like Start Me Up or something or one of these wow. fat tones that Keith gets. People think, oh, man, it must be the amp. I need that like vintage yeah. <laughs> 50s fenders that he's running through. Or yeah. You know what? 90% of it is in, in the player. I totally agree. But, do you know there what? are other problems, too, though, when you mm-hmm. tune that way, but that's, that's for another conversation. You know, Jude, all my years of playing guitar, there's always been a little bit of the hassle of tuning the B string. Let's say you're playing an A chord, and you've got the A note on the G string on the second fret and the C sharp note on the B string on the second right. fret. And um, I tend to like to just put that B string just slightly flat. Exactly right. Yeah. You're using your ears. Your ears are telling you with the yeah. overtone series. This is like just a universal truism in the yeah. universe of, of the, the, the way the overtones sound. Your ear is telling you that it would sound sweeter if that was Absolutely. flat. But, you know, it, it could, then when you play a D chord, though, an open position D chord, your, your second D on the, the D on the Absolutely. Second, on the B string, string will be a little it's flat. flat. <laughs> <laughs> Tricky business. Yeah. You know, Eddie Van Halen's. Uh, running with the devil, the fifth fret to seventh fret, the A shape, you know, the B string is just slightly flat to make it ring together. I think if you use a tuner, the B string's going to be a little sharp and it wouldn't sound as good. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. It's just, it's just an experiment in tone because if you do this stuff, you'll hear suddenly your distortion sounds that much sweeter. Suddenly you sound like more of whatever you hold your... What's your high standard? Say, oh, wow, it sounds more Eric Johnson-y or something. Get that <laughs> yeah. violin tone, get that uh, sweet distortion. And it's true. Like, I just think guitar players shouldn't be afraid. You know, maybe for that part, say you're recording a song like Running With The Devil. Well, maybe that part, don't be afraid to tune that third down a little bit to get that part sweet. 
Yeah. Later, you might be banging on another chord, and you might have to tune it back up again. Absolutely. Really listen. Don't always just rely on your Boss TU2 turn tuner. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Boss TU2s, do you have one of those? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like kind yeah. of industry standard. Yeah, I've had it forever. It looks like it's been relicked. <laughs> Paint chips all <laughs> off. And... This concludes the first segment of the 35th edition of Boss Tone Radio. Definitely stay tuned to the second segment. Jude's going to talk about, you know, like life in Hollywood, playing gigs on TV, and all about his gear. So stay tuned. (laughs) 